please turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 12 as we study the ascension of Christ. Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Some people see our Lord's going to heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection as just the happy ending to the gospel story. But there is great meaning involved in this event, which makes the gospel infinitely more than just a nice story with a happy ending. The Lord's going to heaven after dying and rising from the dead we usually call his ascension. The ascension of the Lord Jesus to heaven is one of the events of his life most often mentioned in the scriptures. Acts 1, 9 through 11 is perhaps the best known description of the Lord's ascension. Let's turn to that. Acts 1, 9 through 11. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now next turn to Luke 24, 50 and 51. Luke 24 verses 50 and 51. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Now turn to 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 16, Paul speaks here of Christ's ascension. 1 Timothy 3, 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. 
God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And our text, of course, speaks of the Lord's ascension in some detail. Now, many other scriptures speak of the ascension of the Lord Jesus, and yet for some reason, rarely, if ever, do we hear preachers proclaiming and expounding this great event. In this study this morning, I'm going to try to answer three questions. And as I do, it's my prayer that we will all have a greater understanding of and appreciation for this marvelous event in the life of our Lord. Question number one, what actually happened when the Lord ascended? The Lord Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, went back to heaven in a supernatural and unusual way after he died and rose again from the dead. As his disciples stood there talking to him and listening to him one day, the Lord's body began to lift off the ground and he rose higher and higher toward heaven until the disciples could see him no longer. Now this ascension was not a figurative thing. It was not an imaginative thing. It was an actual event in history in which the Lord ascended bodily and visibly up to he into heaven. He who traveled up into heaven that day was a real man who just a few days before had said, Handle me and see if it is I myself. This was a real, though miraculous, event. The Lord Jesus first entered this world in a miraculous way through his virgin birth. And he left in a miraculous way in his ascension. As a matter of fact, in ascending, the Lord took back to heaven the humanity that he did not bring with him when he came into this world. Acts 1.10 and 1 Timothy 3.16 that we've already read tell us that angels were witnesses to his ascension as well as the apostles. This great event took place when the Lord had tarried on this earth for 40 days after his resurrection, during which time he had given many infallible proofs that he was alive again. He did not ascend into heaven until he had first proven that he had risen from the dead. According to Acts 1.12, the place from which the Lord ascended was the Mount of Olives. Lenny and I once had the privilege of standing on the top of this mountain, which is just to the east side of the old city of Jerusalem. There's a Catholic church building up there on what its owners claim is the very spot from which the Lord ascended. And they even have on display a large footprint in stone, which they say the Lord left when he lifted off. Well, you know, we saw so many things like this in Israel that, that the Catholics had come up with that we 
began to talk about it as holy baloney. And that is holy baloney. Matter of fact, that footprint was about uh, probably 18 inches long. <laughs> so nothing fit. 43 nights before his ascension, the Lord had agonized under the load of all the sins of all of his people until the blood flowed out through the pores of his skin. And this took place in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is located on the western slopes of Olivet. Well, this mountain was the place from which the Lord ascended back to heaven. The means by which the Lord traveled as he ascended were supernatural. As he was taken up, a cloud received him out of their sight. Luke tells us in Acts 1-9. So the Lord went up into the sky the same way in which he someday will come again, in a cloud. He rose slowly into the air until a cloud finally received him out of their sight. One time I went to an Oklahoma football game and at halftime I saw a demonstration of one of these jet packs that a man can strap on his back and then fly around. That was an amazing thing to see. That young man put that jet pack on and he turned on the power and he began to slowly rise above that stadium. Well, that was something like how the Lord traveled when he ascended, only he did it without the jetpack. Uh, in the ascension, the Lord Jesus was transferred from one place to another. But this transferal was by means of his own supernatural power. There was no engine there to lift him. Some things happened while the Lord was ascending to heaven that are of great significance. One was the fact that, as our text says in verse 8, he ascended on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now in Bible times, when conquerors returned from their military victories, they held victory parades in which those conquerors would go up to their capitals and as they ascended, they would be surrounded with the trophies of their victories. Their prisoners would be led through the streets in chains, those chains often fastened to the conqueror's chariots for all to see. As they passed through the streets, these conquerors would throw coins and other gifts into the crowds in celebration of their victories. In his death on the cross, the Lord Jesus conquered the great enemies, the world and sin and death and hell and Satan and the flesh. And then in his ascension into heaven as the mighty conqueror, he led all these enemies for all to see, making a show openly of all these things that he had conquered. He also gave gifts to men not silver, not gold, but spiritual gifts, of which I shall have more to say in a moment. The place to which the Lord ascended 
the place to which he was transferred from this earth is referred to in verse 8 of our text as on high. It is into heaven that our Lord has gone, Peter says in 1 Peter 3.22, speaking of the Lord. Let's turn to that, 1 Peter 3.22. First Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and principalities and powers being made subject unto him. It was to heaven that the Lord ascended, but not the heaven of the clouds, not the heaven of the stars and the planets, Hebrews 4.14 says that the Lord passed through these heavens and verse 10 of our text says that he ascended far above all these heavens. The heaven to which the Lord Jesus ascended was the place where God's throne is. The third heaven, as Paul calls it in his Corinthian letter. Heaven is a place. You know, you can hear all kinds of theories about heaven being an ideal or a goal or something like that. But the Bible says heaven is a place, a real place, where Jesus Christ in his full human nature now resides. Heaven is not a dream. It's not a myth. It's not an ideal. Heaven is a place, and it's just as real a place as Grenada or Dallas, or Chicago, or New York, or Tokyo, or Sao Paulo. It has gates, and streets, and walls, and trees, and a river. And the Lord Jesus has ascended there. Just where in this universe heaven is located, we're not told. But the heaven that... That, but that heaven exists as a concrete reality, God's word assures us again and again. When the Lord Jesus got to heaven, God the Father opened to him the everlasting doors to receive him as king of glory. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 24, 7 through 10. Psalm 24, We'll look at verses 7 through 10. I, mean, I had to memorize this passage as a child. And all of my life it stayed with me. And uh, when I got a little older, I began to understand who it was talking about. Proverbs 24, 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. When the Lord Jesus arrived and entered into heaven, the Father welcomed him with the words of Psalm 110 in verse 1. 
sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Mark 16, 19 says, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. The right hand of God is the place of honor and power and sovereignty. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 20 and 21 that the right hand of God is far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. When Stephen was given a glimpse into heaven shortly before he was martyred, Acts 7, 55 and 56 says that he saw Christ standing at the Father's right hand. There is no question as to where the Lord Jesus is today. Right now, this very moment, the Lord Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven to which he ascended that day long ago. In thinking about what actually happened when the Lord ascended, we need to think for a moment about what our text says in verses 9 and 10 about the Lord's descending. Look at verses 9 and 10 of our text. <clears throat> Verse 9, Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Paul says here that this one who ascended first descended to the lower parts of the earth. This descent involves what we sometimes call the Lord's humiliation. It is his stooping to leave the palaces of heaven to come down to this old wicked world as a man. It involves everything from his incarnation in a virgin's womb where David says his human nature was curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth to his suffering for sin and his death on the cross and his burial. At his death, the Lord also ascended or descended into the lower parts of the earth. I believe that's the grave. Christ's descension was his humiliation. And our text says that this same person who described, rather who descended to the humiliation of his earthly life has now ascended up far above all heavens. Scriptures tell us that the Lord Jesus will remain in heaven to which he has ascended until the end when he returns to this earth once again. Acts 3.21 says that the heaven must receive him until the times of restitution of all things. Sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool, the Father said to him when he ascended. So he is going to remain there until all of his enemies have been made his footstool. I'm tempted, Brother Lee, to chase a rabbit right there, but I'm not going to. The Lord's bodily presence ascended to heaven 
It will never come back until his return in the clouds someday. Now, you know, that is a tremendously important fact. He ascended into heaven, and he'll remain there and never come back until his return in the clouds someday. You know, the Lord Jesus does not come back in the Lord's Supper. His body does not come back in the bread of the supper. He never came back in a body 900 feet tall to give special information and instructions to a TV preacher named Oral Roberts. you got to be our age to remember that. Right now, he is in heaven to which he ascended that day long ago, and he will not return but that one final time when he comes again in the clouds. Well, the second question I'd like us to deal with, what was the purpose of the Lord's ascension? The ascension of Christ to heaven was not just a happy ending to the story. It is filled with meaning. I'd like us to consider here six purposes of the Lord's ascension, six reasons why he ascended back into heaven that day 2,000 years ago. First, he did so in order to fulfill the Old Testament types. In order to fulfill the Old Testament types. The Old Testament high priest was a type or a foreshadowing of Christ in his ascension in this way. The Holy of Holies in the temple was a type of heaven. The high priest entered this Holy of Holies once a year. When he did, he took with him blood and incense and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat on the ark. And all of this was a type of the Lord's ascending into heaven into that temple not made with hands, and interceding with God on behalf of his people. Turn to Hebrews 9.24, which indicates this. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24. You have to know the typology of the Old Testament in order to fully appreciate what the book of Hebrews has to say. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. A second purpose for which the Lord Jesus ascended was in order to fulfill the prophecies of God's word that said that he would do so. In verse 8 of our text, Paul says that Christ's ascension was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Psalm 68 and verse 18. Wherefore he saith in Psalm 68, 18, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. That was prophesied in the Old Testament in Psalm 68, 18. Many times during our Lord's earthly ministry, he prophesied that he would ascend to his Father in heaven. For example, 
in Luke 19, 12, in the parable of the nobleman, the Lord said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. That nobleman in this parable represents Christ. The far country represents heaven, and the nobleman, Christ, went to the far country of heaven to receive a kingdom for himself and to return. Turn to John 16, 28. John chapter 16 and verse 28. The Lord said to his disciples that he would one day ascend when he said, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to heaven. So his ascension was a fulfillment of this prophecy that he made. A third reason the Lord ascended into heaven was in order to receive the joy and the glory that had been promised him. The ascension of our Lord was his great triumph. And as such, it was a time of great joy. It was at his ascension that the Lord Jesus received the joy that Hebrews 12, 2 says was set before him. Think of Christ's joy as he ascended from the place of his humiliation far above all the heavens. And when saved persons go to heaven, they are said to enter into the joy of their Lord. The Lord ascended in order to receive the glory that the Father had promised him at the conclusion of his redemptive work. The ascension was the exaltation of the Lord Jesus to the throne of sovereign authority. In his ascension, the Lord was exalted to the supreme place of rulership at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. In this position, the Lord is the supreme ruler over the universe, over this planet, over the churches, and over our lives. Turn to Philippians 2, 9 through 11. 2, 9 through 11 in Philippians. And as Paul says here, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a glorious moment that was when the risen living Christ ascended from among his people to take his place at the right hand of the throne on high. A fourth purpose for which the Lord ascended was in order to open the way to heaven for his people. Turn to Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This passage tells us 
that the Lord has entered heaven as our forerunner. Here the apostle speaks of within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What is a forerunner? A forerunner is a forerunner of followers. Joseph was secretly sent to Egypt to prepare the way for his brothers whom God planned to bring there later. He was the forerunner of his brothers and thus of Israel. The Lord Jesus, as the forerunner, has already entered in through the torn veil into the presence of God. Thus he has opened the way for us. We can get in. We can get in. Because he has already gone there and opened the way. A fifth purpose for which Christ ascended was in order that the Holy Spirit might be given to the churches. Turn to John 16 and verse 7. John chapter 16 and verse 7. The Lord Jesus told his disciples here that he would first have to go away if the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, was to come unto them. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now the last purpose for which the Lord ascended was in order to prepare mansions in glory for his people. And turn to John 14, 2 and 3. You know this by memory, I'm sure, but 14, chapter 2 and verse 3. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples, referring to his ascension, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So the Lord Jesus ascended up to heaven to prepare a place for his people so that we can also go where he is. Many years ago, Lenny and I lived in a town called Rawlins, Wyoming. And we were poor. We were living in a trailer. And it wasn't a nice one like we've got now. But one day they had built this huge housing area, high-end housing. And so we went over there and we went to look at them, see what they were like. Well, they were, the houses were kind of stair-stepped down the hill. They were tri-level houses. And, uh, you know, our first impression was, my, look at that. And then we thought, well, according to John 14, we've got a mansion that we're going to, and it'll be a lot better than this. I know that word mansion, there's all kinds of controversy. Some people say it only means rooms. Well, whatever it is, the Lord doesn't do anything second class. And so rooms in heaven are going to be like mansions on earth. 
uh, no doubt. Well, the Lord Jesus has gone into heaven to receive and to prepare for his people an inheritance, says 1 Peter 1, 4, that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us. You got your reservation in? I do. My inheritance is reserved for me in heaven. Well, the third and final question that I want to try to answer in this study, what does Christ's ascension mean to us? The fact that Christ has ascended means that we have the gifts and graces of the Holy Spirit for doing the Lord's work. Look at verse 8 of our text. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Then in verses 11 and 12, Paul describes these gifts. He gave some apostles, Paul said. And apostles were special preachers inspired and infallibly guided by the Holy Spirit. They were, entitled, they were empowered to work miracles in order to confirm their doctrine. The apostles introduced the gospel and spread the gospel throughout the earth and organized and guided churches of Jesus Christ. There are no apostles today I want to run that by you again because you'll see Apostle so-and-so on TV. There are no apostles today. There have been none since the last of the 12 died some 1,900 years ago. Now, if you talk to some of these Mormons, they'll tell you about the 12 apostles of the Mormon church, and they govern the Mormon church. Or if you talk to some Pentecostals, they'll talk about uh, apostolic preaching and so-and-so is an apostle. The Bible tells us that was a gift that has passed. He gave some prophets to the churches when he ascended. And these prophets received special revelations of the future for the information and instruction of God's people. Acts 11.27 and Acts 13, 1, speak of Agabus and other such prophets at Antioch. You want to look into that further, Acts 11, 27, Acts 13, 1. The ascended Lord gave his church some evangelists, verse 11 says. Now, evangelists are distinct in this list, and I think in reality, both from apostles and from prophets, and from pastors. It's the, they're listed separately uh, here. These evangelists were preachers who were sent by the apostles on special missions. Men like Philip and Luke and Timothy and Titus. Some people believe these evangelists are today what we would call missionaries. I don't have any problem with that. I just don't know. The last gift in our text is pastors and teachers. It says the Lord gave his churches when he ascended, pastors and teachers. Now, pastors and teachers refer to one office. 
the office of pastor, and we still have this office today. Uh, notice, and I think Brother Lee's pointed this out on occasion, but there is no comma between pastors and teachers like there is between all these other gifts. That means that pastors and teachers are the same thing. Verse 12 tells us what these gifts the ascended Christ has given his churches are for. When it says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. These gifts were given for the spiritual good of the Lord's churches. Now, what does Christ's ascension mean to us? Secondly, it guarantees that we who are his people by faith will join him in heaven someday. John 14, 3 says, the Lord says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. What is it that calms our fears when we gaze into the unknown at death? What can overcome the terrible finality of death? Only the fact that Christ is in heaven and he has promised that we who belong to him will be with him someday. Isn't that what gets you through the death of all friends and loved ones and so forth? 1 Peter 1, 4 says the mansions in heaven are reserved for the Lord's people. They are standing empty while they're being held for us. And thus, no one can take them from us. Our inheritance in heaven is secure because our Lord has entered into the heavenly places and as our legal representative, he has already taken possession of heaven for us. We are as good as in heaven already because Christ, our forerunner, has already entered and possessed it for us. Christ's possession of heaven absolutely secures it for his people. I know that my place in heaven is secure because my Lord is holding it for me. A third thing. Christ's ascension means to us it causes this world to lose its charm for us. From the moment our Lord left this world it no longer has been so charming to his people. Charles Spurgeon describes this fact like this. The flower is gone from the garden. The star is gone from the night. Joseph is no more in Egypt. And so it is time for Israel to be gone. Our Lord has left this world, and our affections follow him. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. You know, I was raised to be a patriotic American and to consider uh, most professing Christians to be real, genuine Christians. 
You know, I don't, I'm not that way anymore. This world is losing its charm more and more. The older we get, the more it loses its charm. The more we ought to be looking toward heaven, and we will if we belong to Christ. But finally, our Lord's ascension means this to us. It ensures that our prayers will be answered. The ascended Lord is our intercessor with the Father in heaven. The scriptures tell us that in heaven he ever liveth or lives forever to make intercession for his people. As our intercessor, the Lord Jesus doesn't just endorse our prayers. He takes them in his own hands as the Old Testament high priest did the incense and he presents them before the Father. And any prayer the Son brings before the Father will receive the utmost consideration from the Father. I think that's a tremendous thought. Realizing that the ascended Christ is our intercessor, we should be encouraged to boldly pray and ask God for what we need. Turn to Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, because Christ has ascended to the Father's presence in heaven, his people can have assurance that their prayers will be answered. And unsaved, guilty sinners who tremble before the Holy God may also come boldly to the throne and find mercy and salvation if they will come through the ascended Lord, trusting only in Him as the reason God should accept them and hear their prayers for mercy. The ascension of Christ into heaven ensures that the prayers of Christ's people will be heard, and it ensures that the prayers of sinners who trust in Christ for salvation will be heard. I wonder if you have come for salvation through the ascended Christ. And if not, would you do so today? Next time, the Lord willing, we'll look at Christ's resurrection. Now, this is a little bit out of order, but nevertheless, I want to consider it uh, separately from Christ's ascension. Christ's resurrection, Matthew 28, 1 through 9. Let's stand together.